0: All right, so we're going to be in the in the book of Luke for some time to come, and and according to God's providence, it just lines up that uh, we're going to be around the birth narrative in the in the Advent season. So I'm really excited about that. If you don't know what Advent is, Advent the word Advent means coming, and the church for a very long time has celebrated Christ's Advent, especially uh, looking around His celebrating His birth. We're looking towards His second coming because His His death, burial, resurrection assures us that he is coming again. And, and so with hope, we, we look at the, the first coming uh, in, in order to cast our hope also to the second coming. So we're going to be in the book of Luke, which is a, which is a book about um, the gospel. It's a, it's a book about Jesus. It's, it's kind of like a biography about Jesus Christ. It's a theological biography that points to all that Jesus did and, and taught in order that we might have some certainty about who he is and the salvation that he brings. This is going to be a, a book that's uh, good news for those who least expect it. So I, I hope you'll join us as we continue in this. And this is just the start. We're in the the prologue of Luke, Luke chapter 1. If you have a Bible, you can turn there or you can scroll there in your device. I encourage you to open up a Bible in Luke chapter 1. Uh in the movie, based on Jane Austen's novel, Pride and Prejudice, uh, I already got laughs of that. That wasn't even a joke, and I got laughs. That's awesome. Okay, this is going to be a good day. Uh, one of the main characters, Elizabeth Bennett, is is being courted by two men who grew up in the same house, Mr. Darcy and Mr. Wickham. So and at, at this point in the movie, the novel, uh, she 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 rather hates Mr. Darcy because of his pride and his prejudice. And she is rather taken to the niceness and the well-mannered Mr. Wickham. But Darcy and Wickham had a falling out in, in the past. And, and at, at just the right time, Mr. Wickham divulges just enough about this falling out to Mrs. Bennet to, to Miss Bennett to play on her pride and prejudice against Mr. Darcy. So, Miss Bennett then accuses Mr. Darcy to his face about this, this accusation when he asks for her hand in marriage. Stunned and shocked and appalled at these accusations and stung by her refusal, he sits down to answer the charge that he treated Mr. Wickham wrongly. And he begins his letter with a prologue. He assures her that he is not asking her to marry him again but writes that he must be allowed to defend himself against the accusations of unfair treatment against this man. So he lays out the facts of the story, giving names, dates, and specifics of what really happened. And in doing so, he, he was able to refute the false narrative of Mr. Wickham. And, and Elizabeth Bennett could, could explore the facts and the dates and the times uh, and, and, and see that Mr. Wickham's story was false and Mr. Darcy's story was true. So he ends this letter by saying, Madam, this is a faithful narrative of all my dealings with Mr. Wickham. He wanted to give her certainty that his character was not to be doubted in this instant. Proud and prejudiced though he was, she could not turn him down based on his, the false claim of Mr. Wickham. The Gospel of Luke also begins with a prologue. You heard Audrey, Audrey read it for us in Luke 1, 1-4. Luke wants to write a narrative, the facts about the story of the life of Jesus' death, resurrection and ascension so that his friend, Theophilus, would have certainty that Jesus is the Lord of all. Jesus is the Lord of all, that the gospel might go to all. He, he wants Theophilus and everyone else who, like Theophilus, would read this work, this history about Jesus through Luke and Acts, that they would have certainty that Lord, Jesus is the Lord of all, and as Lord, he is bringing the good news to all, Let me read it for you one more time. Inasmuch, then, as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. So why do you, why does the gospel of Luke matter to you? Why does the gospel of Luke about the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus matter to you? Well, for the same reason it mattered to Theophilus, that you might have certainty, assurance concerning the things that you have been taught about him that you won't refuse him based on a false narrative of who he is or based on your own understanding, but you would have certainty about the facts of the story about Jesus Christ. The things in the Bible are true and trustworthy. And Luke meant to encourage Theophilus, and I think God means to encourage you to have certainty to trust Christ. And he does so by telling what his narrative was going to be. So we're just going to look at that in four headings just based on the four verses for us. This is a faithful narrative full of fulfilled prophecy, resting on reliable witnesses, a faithful narrative attending to order, and a faithful narrative with the purpose to assure. A faithful narrative, verse one, of full of fulfilled prophecy. So first of all, luke is writing to a man named theophilus now we don't know uh we don't know exactly what this man who this man was he was meant he's mentioned in luke in the first chapter of Luke and in the first chapter of Acts, and Luke and Acts are connected. They're the same author, Luke the doctor, a Gentile uh, physician, we think, who wrote these words to a man named Theophilus. And we don't know exactly who it is, but many scholars believe that Theophilus was a, a rich Roman uh, official who paid Theophilus to, to do research, and or paid Luke to do research to write out this account. Now, we don't know that for sure, but... Um, Luke was writing to someone named Theophilus. It was maybe a pseudonym. And, and Theophilus, just if you just look at the, the Greek word, theos means God and Philos means love. It could be lover of God or loved by God or something like that. And me, many people think that Theophilus was a God-fearer. But Luke, a Gentile, writes to probably another Gentile, and he writes this narrative he has compiled, uh, and it is about the things that have been accomplished among us. The first thing he wants Theophilus and us to know is that the things that have been accomplished among us are, are prophecy. They started in the Old Testament as prophecy and have been fulfilled in Jesus Christ in the New Testament through his life, death, resurrection, and ascension. If you have an NIV or a CSB, this word is tr- translated have been fulfilled. The word accomplished is translated have been fulfilled. The events that have been fulfilled. Among us. So, this word points us to the prophecies about Jesus, the Messiah, and also about John the Baptist and the fulfillment of those prophecies in Jesus, the Messiah. I just want to give you, if, if you don't believe me, you can, you can turn to Isaiah chapter 7, or it'll be up there on the screen. I, in Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus uh, was born and lived and died, Isaiah prophesies about this very thing that's going to happen. How Jesus is going to be conceived, and in Isaiah, um, God comes to one of the kings, Ahaz, uh, Ahaz, and tells him, "Ask for a sign." How many of you would love for God to come to you and say, "Give, ask for a sign, and I'll do it for you." Well, uh, you know, Ahaz, being a a, a pious um, hypocrite of a Jewish king says, oh, I'm not going to ask. I'm not going to test the Lord that way. But God said, ask for a sign. So he doesn't, and God gives a sign to Israel and to us anyway in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. I'll just read it from up there. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name emmanuel and there's debates about what that word virgin means, but even the people that translated the Septuagint, which was a Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible, cre- translated that word a young maiden as virgin because they believed that that's what the prophecy meant, so God gives them. A prophecy about a virgin who will conceive and bear a son. He call his name Emmanuel. Where's the fulfillment of that prophecy? In Luke chapter 1 verses 26 through 31, we see the fulfillment of the prophecy of, of Isaiah chapter 7. And ...who will conceive of, of this great one, the Messiah, and in Luke, through Jesus' birth, it is fulfilled. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 5, is a, is a very famous prophecy. It says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended and her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins." Isaiah is, is predicting someone who is going to have a voice that cries out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, make his path straight, make it known. And in Luke chapter 3, verses 3 through 6, the, the man, John the Baptist, who is the final prophet, comes and prepares the way of the Lord. He said John fulfilled this prophecy in reading the passage and then through his life and in ministry in, in, in Luke chapter 3. Verses 3 through 6, he stands up and, as, and says, As is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. And here John is standing up, not only reading the prophecy, but now he is preparing the way of the Lord. And maybe the most famous one, if it's not, maybe it should be. Jesus says about all of Scripture that it is about himself. How do you you have certainty that what is written about Jesus is true in the Scriptures and what's been told Luke? Jesus says in, in Luke chapter 24, And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So here they were, two disciples on their road, on the road of Emmaus, making their trek, and Jesus shows up and and blinds their eyes to who he is and 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 says, Hey, what happened? What what's going on? Why are you guys so downcast? And and he says, and, and they tell him that, don't you know anything? Just Jesus, who we loved, he's died and and the he was killed, and and now he is no more. And and, and Jesus from the scriptures showed how all of Scripture, every part of Scripture is about him, the prophesied in the Old Testament. And fulfilled in him, promised from of old and fulfilled in his life, death, resurrection, and ascension. It is all about Jesus. This gospel is filled with fulfilled prophecy because it is the full of the life of Jesus. How he began to do and to teach. If you want certainty about who Jesus is, this narrative is full of the prophecy being fulfilled but is also dependent on reliable witnesses. So Luke does not only point to prophecy, he also points to eyewitness testimony of those who are ministers or servants of the Lord. Now when I say narrative, I don't, I don't mean a fiction, I mean a true story. In fact, it has been said that that every, every tale, every Every story, every fiction that has a, a redemptive arc points to this one true story about Jesus Christ. And that Luke was telling Theophilus this was handed down by eyewitnesses to the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. And that they were, they were ministers or servants of the word. This message is about the good news of that work that that message it was delivered over to them to, to Luke uh, someone who is entrusted to, to write down the scripture it was handed down by the apostles and others whom Luke interviewed it was passed down they passed down the stories of of old these people who were eyewitnesses they saw Jesus with their own eyes i've heard you know people say that they would believe in the existence of Jesus if if we could just produce enough evidence. If we, if we can produce proof for him, they want empirical data in order to believe that Jesus was real person, risen from the dead. Luke is giving us that evidence through the eyewitness testimony of those who saw him, of those who lived with him, of those who touched him, of those who ate with him, of those who saw all the miracles he did, of those who denied him of, of those who saw his resurrection and ate with him after his resurrection. Here is the evidence. You want proof? Here, here it is. Here's the evidence. It's historical data that is for your reading. You know, sometimes the same people who, who want the, the evidence do not demand the same rigor when it comes to, say, the veracity of the life of Socrates or Plato. If you believe that Plato was alive, even though you never saw him. You have to rely on historical witnesses and data from of old, of eyewitnesses. The same is true with Jesus. There's more historical evidence of of Jesus. There's more historical data of Jesus than, than any of those famous philosophers of old. However, Luke provides historical data for the life, death, resurrection, ascension of Jesus and the problem is that you can have all of that historical evidence but it must be received by faith alone. And this should be an encouragement to us dear Christian friend that Christianity is true and can be verified but it must be believed. It must be trusted and must you must be able to put your weight on it and and trust in it. Should also be an encouragement To bring your questions to the Bible and let the Bible answer them fairly. Do you have questions about the historical reliability of of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection? Come to a document that's been well attested over thousands of years and let it answer them. God God gave, he, he is resting in part this narrative on reliable witnesses, those who are ministers to the word, those who serve the word. That's what the, they deacon the word. Uh, those reliable witnesses are not serving themselves. they're trying to serve the truth about who Jesus is, the truth of the gospel friends these these witnesses they gave up some really embarrassing details about themselves if if they were trying to dupe you or or uh, you, you know. If they were trying to give a false narrative about Jesus, why, why would they say the embarrassing things about themselves, about their lack of trust, their denials of Jesus, all, all of the, the dumb things they did? Why, why would they do that? No, it, this, this narrative has reliability partly based in the, in, in the, in, in the, the trueness or the, the, the um, clearness of, of what the, the reliable witnesses witness to of Jesus so it was full of prophecy. It rests on reliable witnesses, a, 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 a historical account of that can be trusted and, and relied upon. But it also it also is an orderly account. It's a it's a faithful narrative, you know, much like Mister Darcy was giving Elizabeth Bennett, It's a faithful narrative, and it is orderly. It. He says, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely, for some time to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. So what follows in Luke is one of four orderly accounts of the man Jesus. Now, he's not throwing shade on the other accounts, like You know, the other ones weren't reliable. Uh, You know, I'm going to get into, uh, I'm going to get my own market share by, you know, by giving the real orderly account. So he's not throwing shade on the other four Gospels. But he's kind of throwing shade on false accounts of Jesus that were not as orderly as his, that weren't as well researched or, or, or as reliable so Luke is not saying that the other account, accounts were deficient in any way or that they were indeed different accounts of Jesus. All the Gospels, all four of them work in harmony together, are one account of Jesus from four different perspectives. So they have overlapping perspectives to show, show that Jesus is the Son of God and the Son of Man. That he, from, from beginning, from before time began, was the Son of God and forever will be the son of God. But in time he took on flesh and, and became man so that he might take our, our sin on himself and live a perfect life in our place. That Jesus was the son of God and the son of man. The whole, all of the gospels are, are trying to prove this. All the gospels show uh, Jesus as fulfilling Old Testament prophecy as God and Messiah. All of the Gospels, including Luke, should show that his passion, that is the last week of his life, that his suffering that led to death, that last week of his life, the passion of Jesus is the most significant event in all of history. They also have distinct purposes purposes, as well as overlapping purposes. Luke's purpose is to show that Jesus is Lord of all so the Gospel may go to all, as Daryl Bach has said. Jesus is Lord of all, so the gospel may go to all. And this is one of the unique purposes Luke brings to the table, brings to the, the sort of multifaceted perspective about who Jesus is. He's, he's coming and he's bringing the gospel to those who least expect it, those who are, who are the maimed, the weak, the, 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 the Gentiles. He, he takes pains to show that the good news is not just for religious Jewish people, but it's also for Gentiles like Luke and like someone like Theophilus and for people like you and me. It's also for the weak and the vulnerable, like the old. Gage is going to preach for us next week about these old people who hadn't had any children but are going to have children. The gospel is coming to them and, and through them. It comes, the gospel comes, the gospel message comes to a, a virgin girl who is maybe the most weak and vulnerable, had the most weak and vulnerable status of anyone. She's engaged to a carpenter. It, it, people like the shepherds who are, who are thought of as, as the low of the low, maybe sort of like the, the homeless in Corvallis. The gospel is coming to the weak and the lonely, the people who least expect it and Luke's account is ordered to show all of this. This is his purpose. So if you think too much of yourself, or you you you, you think that you don't you you maybe need Jesus but not really as much as that, those other people need Jesus. He wants to show you that no, actually it's gospel's for you too. We need to be concerned that we need not be concerned that they were the order of events. It wasn't about chronological order. This this wasn't a strict chronological order, but they were ordered to for a purpose to to show what Jesus' life and death and resurrection and ascension actually meant for for certainty about who Jesus was. So. Need not be concerned where Luke differs in small details with the other Gospels. The Gospels do not disagree, friends. They, we, we, they have different perspectives. And, and we can see that as we, as we look through them and, and wade through them, and the, and the more questions you have and the more you bring them to the Bible, the, the more that your answer, you will have more answers than questions. Just keep bringing them to the Bible and ask the Holy Spirit to, to help you understand what you're not, what you're not understanding, to trust in him. The whole gospel, this is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but especially Luke right now as we're discussing it, its arrangement was meant to persuade to trust. And that's our final point. This narrative is a faithful narrative that was meant to assure. A faithful narrative that was meant to assure, that was meant to persuade people to trust in Jesus Christ, to put all of their dependence, their hope in him the purpose was so that theophilus and all who read it would have certainty to trust those things that were taught about Jesus so through the reading of Luke Acts we believe this is one book with two volumes Luke is the first Acts is the second and all about what Jesus began to do and teach and then what Jesus began what Jesus how Jesus finished that in the in the church as he created the church and let the 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 church grow up and spread as the gospel came to people God wants to deepen Theophilus and your faith or trust and dependence in him now what is faith? I think it's a very we talked about this in rooted uh, a few weeks ago in the college ministry uh, faith is, is is sort of a, a murky term for a lot of us even even us even Christians uh, learning how to define what faith is. So when we sing, by faith we see, by faith we see the hand of God. In the light of creation's grand design, what does that mean? What is faith? The faith, Hebrews 11.1 1 tells us, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things unseen. Faith is a response to gospel truth. Faith is a response to the truth that God reveals to us through his word. And through creation is is the response of assurance and conviction. Friends, it's not a leap in the dark. Trust, maybe we should call it trust, is based in knowledge of the truth that one cannot see. Faith has, we talked about in our, in the college ministry, faith has three aspects. It is uh, knowledge, you must know the facts about the gospel, about Jesus, before you can believe it. You must assent to those facts. That is, it's, it's, enough, it's not enough to just know them, you also have to assent to them that they're true, that you, you, you believe that they are true facts, that Jesus was God, was man, did die, did rise again, and he did it for you. You must, you must assent to that. But then there's this third component, this third aspect of faith that is trust. And now you have to take that step to say, I believe it for me. I'm putting my trust in Jesus. I'm depending on Him to trust Him. He he wants the knowledge about the Son, Jesus, to increase our trust and increase our affection to change our will. So, this really old document called the Westminster Shorter Catechism asks this question for kids What is faith in Jesus Christ? And he gives this beautiful answer. Faith in Jesus Christ is a saving grace whereby we rest and receive, we receive and rest in him alone for salvation. Receive and rest on him alone for salvation. Jesus Christ and him alone, he gives saving grace and we receive that as a gift and we rest on it. Alone on him for salvation. So knowing the gospel, the good news about Jesus, the Son of God, is meant to give you certainty about what you have learned from the Bible. The way Mr. Darcy would convince Elizabeth of his character. He, he relayed a faithful narrative about himself. Friends, in the end, this would be good news for the Bennett family. Because despite all the false narrative and despite the pride and prejudice of Mr. Darcy, his love for Elizabeth drove him to save the Bennett family and fortune, even in spite of themselves. Even in spite of the mother. That was supposed to be funny, but I didn't get anything. He, his love for his soon-to-be-dried bro drove him to save them. And that is exactly what Luke is doing for Theophilus. Not about himself, but about, about Jesus. He is relaying a faithful narrative that shows beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is who he claimed to be. It was fulfilled by prophecy. It rests on reliable witness, it tended to order, and it was with a purpose to assure. Now I wonder, what is Jesus doing in your heart right now? is he assuring you of what you've been taught he wants to give you certainty friend that he is who he said he was that he is who the bible says he was that it is reliable and that you can trust him with your not only your life but your your eternal salvation and i want to give you a few moments before we turn to communion, to allow you to respond to whatever the Holy Spirit is doing in your heart. Maybe you're disinterested. I hope the story about Jesus makes you interested about the most important person who commi- who who performed the most important act, who lived out the most important act in all of history. I hope you become interested. But maybe you've been uncertain. The gospel of Luke was written so you might have certainty. Maybe you're uncertain that the gospel can come to you because you're too weak, you're too fearful, you're too sinful. The gospel is for people just like you.